Welcome to Season 2 from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is Matt Pacey from Pacey Media, a photographer and videographer. We're going to be chatting all about this, but first of all, I want to welcome Matt to the podcast. How are you today? Really well, thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. First of all, how did you get into making videos? Have you always enjoyed it or was it something that you did like from college? Yeah, so I've never studied it or anything like that. Basically, straight from school, I started working as a youth worker. And then while I was doing the youth work, there was a need for like videos and things as the world was going that way. So this is maybe, what, I don't know, eight years ago. Um, and I knew someone who was quite good at making videos and was studying at university. So um, I did some work with him and eventually kind of got a bit of a love for it. And then fast forward maybe two years, I was making loads of videos, you know, as part of my role as a youth worker, um, you know, interviewing people or recording events and things. And then, um, yeah, someone wanted me to make them a video for something completely different. And then from then, I've never looked back, really. So what was it like as a youth worker? Like if we go back to sort of your pre-videography days, um, Obviously, that's where you kind of got the, the the buzz for making videos and content like that. But what was it like being a youth worker? Um, challenging, but a real good learning curve for me, in, especially in terms of communication. I've got so many skills now that I learned from being a youth worker that I didn't even realize I was picking up. Things like empathy is so important in business, things like communication and um, where well, I think, you know, being authentic and having integrity as well is, is really important. Um, so I picked up those things, dealing with challenging people <laughs> was um, something that I kind of learnt. Um, but also I valued people a lot. And also that came across when I was kind of capturing people's stories on video, is that I believe everyone's story is really, really valuable and that you can get so much gold out of just hearing people's stories. That's why I love podcasts like yours is because it's like individuals are so interesting and um, especially young people, mm. I really value their story more than kind of like if they were playing up or whatever, I tried to get that out of the back of my mind and focus on them as a whole individual rather than how they were acting in that moment. And I guess like younger people, sometimes they don't have like the platform to like share their story and things like that. So like you being able to, I don't know, like, focus on what they're saying in that kind of way is a really good thing so what did you edit on back then and how has it changed to what you edit on now that's a really good question i edited on a, a computer which we called rude boy because it had loads of like led lights and it was like you know like um you'd see like a chav driving down the road like <laughs> with neon lights so we called the computer rude boy um and it was proper slow and we just had like a cam caught like a handy cam you know, you couldn't change any of the settings on, you could just record and you could zoom. And when I think back now to my career now, that was so important that I learned on that, on a rubbish camera, rubbish quality, rubbish microphone, because then all my attention was turned to what is it actually that I'm capturing? What is the story in front of me? How do I make that interesting? And then as I've, you know, got older and worked with more cameras, more equipment, whatever, um, I've realized that really it's important what's in front of you is important, not like what you're filming it on. 
Um, so yeah, that was a good learning curve for me actually to have that experience early on. And like, was there a point when you realised like, actually I want to take this from like a hobby to like a full-time job? Was there like a moment you can remember? It's not a specific moment, but I think inside um, I realised that I felt fulfilled if I'd made something, right? But like, I'm rubbish at art, I can't sing, I can't, you know, there's, there's lots of creative things that I can't do. But if I'd made a video, I felt like, oh, I've actually accomplished something and I can look at it and it's a tangible thing that I can say, oh, I've made. And I found that really fulfilling, um, like from like a, a career point of view. So I thought, oh, I'd love a career where, you know, you keep making things, you keep challenging yourself. Because um, I know some people are stuck in jobs where they're doing the same thing over and over again and there might not be any fulfillment there. Um, so I think realizing early on that I found fulfillment through creativity um, was key. And um, then I think someone just asked me to make a video for them, like separate to what I was doing already. Um, so I did, and I got some money for that. And I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe you paid me to do this. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, it went from there, really. And like, how was it at first? So obviously, like, your reputation's built up and built up. But like, those first few years, like, what, what was it like? Obviously, I don't know. Being freelance myself, I know that you just you've got to take on any work that comes your way because ultimately you want to do the work, but you need money as well. Like, and when mm -hmm. you freelance, it's very like I don't know, it's difficult. So what? How was it tough at the start? Yeah, super tough. Um, like, I don't even know if I'll be able to get across how difficult it was. Basically, what I'd done is I'd I'd saved up a lot of money so I could buy my own camera and my own computer so I could go out and actually make stuff myself. And then it was a case of just emailing as many different people as I possibly could saying, oh, can I make you this video? Can I make you this? But I had nothing to show for myself, really. I had no portfolio of work. So that was difficult. Um, that was about the time when I moved into my own flat for the first time. So it felt like life was coming at me proper fast and really hard. Like you've got a flat to look after. You've got council tax. Didn't even know that was a thing. Um, I pay for you know, energy and, you know, these things that just always, you just always just didn't took for granted and that. Um, and then you've been searching for work constantly. Yeah, it was really tough, but equally the joy of getting that first job or those first couple of jobs was like huge. Cause it felt like, oh, that's really significant. Cause I've, I've put in this work and then you get that job and then you can move on to the next one. Yeah. And so how long, was it tough for I know that's probably a hard question because it's probably someday still tough but when did you kind of start to see the results and start thinking you know what I'm actually good at this and um like people people were like word of mouth getting in touch with you so I knew I always knew I was good at it so that was okay but I I also wanted to, to always try and be a, bit, a little bit better um, so that was like the, the learning curve early on. If you didn't have very much work going on, I would always try and improve or try new things, try new techniques, learn new skills, new programs, whatever. Um, but I think until I could actually go, look, this is a, a, you know, a business now was probably three years. Mm -hmm. The first year I made a loss. The second year, I probably just about broke even. The third year, I was in profit a tiny bit. And then things really started to kick on um, after that, um, which was which was good. Yeah. So, like, talk me through to like 
I don't know, this week or whenever, what, what's like a typical like day for you? Or what's, what's it like if you go into that, do a, a video for someone or, or make some content in that way? What's, what's your typical, like, I don't know, time for edit, time for filming, work balance kind of thing? Yeah, it's crazy actually at the minute um, because um, I've got a business here where I can go out and make videos for clients and things. And I've got some freelancers that I'll work, work with who will come on jobs and be cameramen and things, um, which is great. But alongside that, I'm also a director of a, a podcast, mm. just like you, um, which is footballers talking to ex-footballers. Um, and that sort of started up at a similar, uh, maybe a year in to me being self-employed. Um, and that took two years before it made any money. But now it's really successful and, it's, and it's, um, it brings in a revenue but also it's got loads of people listen to it, which is great. But that means that now my life is kind of split between having a successful video business mm. and also a successful podcast, which I'm 25% responsible for. So that's what makes it crazy. I'll give you an example. Last week, um, on the Monday, I was filming at a gym in Norfolk, mm-hmm. um, in Norwich. And then on a Tuesday and the Wednesday, we had two podcasts, one in Newcastle, and one in Sunderland. And then the Thursday and the Friday, I was in Edinburgh filming a gym. And then on the Saturday, we were filming at Oldham for the football match. And then the Sunday, I was in Leeds taking photos for a gym. So that's like a pretty intense week. Yeah. So then the, this week coming, I've now got to get all that footage and think, right, I'm not, don't, don't be foolish and book anything else in because you've got to edit that stuff now because people yeah. expect quite a quick turnaround with things. Um, and yeah. editing, editing will take long like I know from the videos and things I've made on my YouTube it takes like nearly I well for me it might just be because I'm not as good as you but it takes like nearly double the length so like if, if you were fil- if I was filming and I wanted then like a three minute video that could easily take me like hours just to because and then you keep watching it and then you change stuff and cut a bit yeah. add a bit like what's your kind of like process so if you're editing do you do it all in one day or do you just sort of chop up a few different bits or what do you can what's your process like i tell you what's really interesting is my I've, i'm such an um emotional worker that if i'm in a good mood i'm a su- i'm such a better editor because i feel like i've got real good passion going into it whereas if i'm having a bad day i'll see one little thing that i filmed and i won't like it and i'll be like oh i can't edit this and i'll go off and do something else um and then try and come back when i'm in a in a better place um, which I don't know, that's just me being honest there, but I don't know if that's the best way to work or whether you try and push through those bad moments. Um, but it does take a while. And typically, especially now I'm so busy, I try and get a job done in in, in one go mm. because then my head is completely in that. If it's a certain style of video, I know that's the style that I want to go for and I'm not... Otherwise, you get confused and you're filming like, I don't know, a gym and it's really intense, really big music, lots of fast cuts. And then you'll film like, I don't know, like a... a primary school and it's much more gentle and lovely mm. and emotive and you want to be in the right headspace for that so really I try and bring a lot of my emotion and my passion into the edits um yeah and I'd love, just love emotion especially with like imagine that primary school video kids smiling it's brilliant people telling their stories on the podcast I think it's so interesting so um I've half forgotten your question I think it was about my process of editing how long it takes <laughs> But yeah, it does take ages. Well, my problem is you'll probably be the same. You know, when you said you were changing things all the time, mm. that last 10% of an edit is the hardest thing for me because I know once that's done, it's done. And like, there's no going back to it. Once you send it to a client, you yeah. think, oh, right, okay. 
there's no point going back to it again because it's done signed off um so i get like you know a bit anxious and i'm like all right okay this is it now i've put all this work into this one thing uh, maybe I'm a bit too invested in it from my, you know, self-reflection from this podcast. I'm probably a bit too <laughs> invested in it. Uh, more like therapy, to be honest, than the podcast. But um, uh, yeah, I think I'm probably too invested. But yeah, always changing little things, always wanting it to be better. But I've just learned that nothing's going to be perfect. So yeah. um, I don't think anything. I've learned that yet. So <laughs> so I was going to say, like, so what? So what do you edit on? Is it like? Premiere Pro, is it? I, on, I used to edit on Premiere Pro and Final then I got a Mac and I'm on Final Cut now. Mm. And there's a bit of snobbery around it, but I I'm, I tried to learn Premiere Pro two years ago, um, but I was so, I'm was so i so fast on Final Cut. I know it inside out because I've done it for years. I was like, I've just not got the time to invest in learning Premiere Pro for what advantage it would give me, really. We, yeah, we learned on Avid, which was oh, yeah. horrible. Um, but then because I've got like a well for me because I've got a MacBook it's like yeah like you said at Final Cut Pro but because it is just easier and I think at the end of the day um, if you want it to be like quick for you to edit and easy and straightforward so when I was editing a piece that was three minutes it was about um, the future of farming and what I did is I kind of pop, popped it all onto the timeline and cut it roughly and then put what I thought my cutaways were over the top of the interview and the sound levels and then I'd like go and really like finally go through it cut it and then like leave it a bit like a day and then look at it and be like no don't like that and then I'd rechange it and it's it's, mm. it's hard I think to then like hand it over isn't it that's the hardest part and absolutely not yeah, yeah um, I can relate to that so tell me like more about you so obviously I'm getting the impression you're quite a perfectionist um and you have to be in the job you have you know to get those details and things what has that changed from when you started or have you like what what's changed or has everything kind of been the same in terms of like you and the qualities you've got to do this job yeah so I would definitely say that my my greatest quality really is being able to um think of like an idea or be a bit creative and outside the box um that's much more that's much more of a skill for me than being a good cameraman or a good editor is actually seeing like a, a story develop or um in fact if I'm interviewing people like on like even talking about gyms, because I do so many gyms, um, gyms always want someone to say, oh, what's it like at this gym? And I try and break past that and talk to them as like as an individual, like what has fitness actually, has it made a difference in your life? And then you'll get people talking about, oh yeah, I can pick up my kids now, you know? And I'm like, that is so much better for any fitness, you know, center or whatever, to hear someone say, oh, from coming to the gym, I can now pick up my kids you know, I can run up the stairs after them or whatever. That's so much better than saying, yeah, it's really clean and the sauna's really hot. You know, they're completely different things. So being able to find something unique in each project that I can kind of take and expand, I think is my greatest strength. In terms of perfectionist, when you look at a scene, as I've got made more and more videos, I'm thinking, how can I be better than the last video that I made? So it could be a thing of trying to find symmetry where there's not much symmetry, or it could be something is like finding interesting angles. But um, like in terms of actually developing as an individual, I don't know. I think I think it's about taking what you're really good at and expanding that, and then what things that you're not so good at. Uh, I found I, I brought people in to help me with those things. Organization, for example, um, 
I've got like a guy here who works one day a week and basically his job is just to try and help me stay organized and keep things in in order um he's you know really talented guy really nice guy you know skilled with cameras and things but I really lack in that area so bringing someone alongside me who isn't um was a no-brainer really for me so why do you do so many gyms like is are you like a gym person and like love the gym or is it kind of like one gym heard of you from through another gym through another gym through another gym yeah that's a really good question basically um in the early days when it was super super tough um i managed to get one job for a company called les mills who they do like body pump classes yeah. and you've seen them in gyms they're really big um it's like the black bars with red on them that's like their, their vibe um and I got a job for them and I knew they were a big client um, and they weren't paying that much money, but I had a really, I, I had what I thought was a good camera at the time, but it was nothing compared to what was out there. So for that job, I remember I drove to Leeds from where I was in Rosendale, which was an hour at six o'clock in the morning to hire a camera um, out of my own pocket. I then hired that camera and then spent two hours learning how to use it there, YouTube videos, whatever, and then drove to Huddersfield to do the video for Les Mills um spent all day filming even though i knew it was only going to be a three minute video overshot everything tried loads of different things and then came away from that and probably edited probably four times as much as what i charged them for and um made that video oh then actually after i'd finished filming i had to take the camera back to leeds and then came home so it was a mega long day um but then that video they absolutely loved it so they got me back again and it's absolutely crazy that you do one good job for like a recognized brand like Les Mills. And now I'm at gyms all over the country because they're such a trusted and cool supplier. And I think back so fondly now on that, you know, how tough it was getting up early and how like tough it was like spending that money that I didn't have to get a better camera for the day. Um, that now that's shaped my whole mindset that you go a bit extra on this job because the next job that you get will be even better. And as long as you continue to progress and make um, videos and things that are better than the last one that you did, even if you're not making, even if you lose out on a bit of money, it'll, it'll come around, it'll come full circle in the end. And I've honestly, I've found that on so many jobs. I've done things where I've gone the extra mile for a client or I've paid money for something that I might not have necessarily needed to. I could have got away with it. Um, it's always come around. I think that's where a lot of like success comes from. It's from actually putting in the work early doors. That was very motivational. Um, <laughs> like motivational speaking, you should do as well. But um, you know, so you mentioned your podcast about football. Yeah. Um, with like its associated YouTube channel. So, like, mm-hmm. are you big into football? And kind of, yeah. What What's it like doing the podcast as well? It's been eye opening because yeah, I'm uh, I'm a big Leeds United fan. I was going to ask um, if you supported. Yeah, who do you support? It's got to be um, Preston North End. Oh, very good. Well, two of the lads on the podcast played for Preston. Was um, Andy Little one of them? He's was who? Andy Little. No, these guys might have been a bit before your time, to be fair. They're both retired now. Um, but we've had a few Preston players on. Uh, but yeah, basically, long story short, uh, yeah, huge football fan. Started doing the podcast was absolutely buzzing that I got to meet footballers and things. Um, and it's been really eye opening because I've met people who like I've seen, uh, you know, when I've been sat in the stands watching things. And it's just crazy that um, they are actual individuals 
with their own struggles, like off the pitch. And you see a footballer and you think they've got it all together. They're earning a lot of money. Everything's great for them. But in reality, you know, football is a business and football clubs are there to make money. And if a player's not performing, they're not going to get a contract. And when you might have been earning X amount a week for a year and you out a contract, your lifestyle's got to completely change if you drop down two divisions or if you get injured and then you can't get a new contract. It's absolutely crazy, things like that. Um, I don't know if any, I don't know how many listeners like football, but as a Leeds fan, we had a player called Alan Smith who went to Man United, right? And Leeds and Man United hate each other. So I was, he, he was like my favorite player. And then I was like, no, I don't like you anymore because you've gone to Manchester United, right? But then from doing the podcast, we had one of his teammates on and he was saying, look, this, this is a, just a guy who wanted the best for his family. You know, it wasn't like he could have gone to any club in the world. There were only a couple of options. And it was the difference between getting paid X amount or double X amount, which would change your life, it would change your family's life, it would change your kids' lives. And now with a bit more of an outside view, I'm like, to be fair, yeah, Alan, I'll let you off now. Um, I think that was a good a good decision in the end, which is really hard to say as a Leeds United fan. Yeah, I was going to say that the other team I support is Man United, so I might oh, really? put this podcast now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what's your what's the podcast name if like my listeners want to have a listen? So it's called Under the Cosh. And the reason I think it's found success is because it's well, to be honest, it's it's a bit laddy. <laughs> like lots of stories about drinking and you know, like um the other side of the of football, which you know is not totally my my bag really. That's not my my vibe. But what I think has made it so successful is what I mentioned before, which is it invests in individual stories. So at the start, it was like, wow, we're listening to this person who's played with uh, all these famous footballers, played in the Premier League, played for England, all these different things. And whereas now it's developed to be like, wow, this is an individual who is also a footballer. So he's got his story, he's got his struggles, he's got um, things going on. I just think, it, I just find it so, so interesting. But we've done over 150 episodes. Wow. Um, it was really well. It got to the top of the iTunes charts. Wow. Um, and it's, it is, if one thing for, if it's anything, it's authentic, it's real. And it's players telling the real side of what it's like to be a footballer. And in that, there were some really funny stories, things that you just would not expect to have happened or can't believe that people used to get away with. But yeah. on the other side of it, it's like, I can't, I can't actually believe that this person I was watching as a kid had all this other stuff going on. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that, I don't know, like just chatting with people like off, you know, like behind the scenes or like yeah. get to know them as a person is, I think is really interesting. Um, I mean, that's why I do this. I don't know whether that's what the listeners think, but definitely why <laughs> I, like, I chat to interesting people. So was it after that, that you went to Hamburg or what, where, where's the story of Hamburg and the seven pound in your bank? Link? Oh yeah. So basically I'll try and summarize this really quickly. Um, as I was starting to um, build my, I'd done my 3000 pounds that I'd saved up. I bought my camera and my computer. And then for two years, I just had no money whatsoever. Right. And during this, the podcast had started, which was a really weird vibe because I was hanging around with people who had a lot of money when I had no money whatsoever at all. So we're making these podcasts and no one's taking a wage because there was no money coming in. 
but I'm absolutely loving the ride. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's probably potentially for us to make some money out of this podcast, but there was no money coming in. And at the same time, I'm driving to Leeds, hiring a camera, going to a job, you know, all this stuff's kind of going on in the background. While that's going on, I'm staying, I'm living in my first flat, which was in a really rough area. And um, yeah, it was pretty crazy when I think back now to, you know, being in a, in a house that I was living in that flat and it was quite scary sometimes. I remember one morning on Christmas day, oh, this is quite a sad story. I woke up on Christmas day and I was going to my friend's house um, for Christmas dinner. So I woke up about nine o'clock. Oh no, this was it. On Christmas morning, about two in the morning, there was loads of commotion, right, in the block of flats. And I'm thinking, who's having a barney on Christmas day? Like, go to sleep. Um, anyway, that was, I heard that, went back to sleep, woke up again, walked downstairs with all my presents and things. Um, and on the wall, there was a big punch mark in the wall. Oh. And there was blood on the wall. And I'm like, oh no, this is my block of flats here. And then another time um, the police came and said, look, we're looking for the person that lives opposite you. Tell me if you see them. And I'm thinking, oh no. Um, another time I'm going off on the flyer, but this is quite an interesting story. It was two o'clock in the morning, right? And I was editing. Um, and cause all my lights were on in the flat, um, there was a, a, a car that pulled up outside. So I looked out, all the lights were on in my flat, I looked outside the window. And there's four guys stood around this car and I'm thinking this looks a bit dodgy at like two in the morning. So I looked out and saw them and thought, I'll try and ignore it. Next thing I know, I can hear them coming into my block of flats. And I'm like, oh no, okay. Then I hear them start coming up the stairs. Oh. Next thing I know, knock, knock, knock on my front door. And I'm like, you are joking. Right, so I really quietly walked to my front door. But bear in mind, I'd not even locked my front door. So my front door was open. So they hmm. could have just walked in. So... I, I look through the little peephole, you know, like on your door. Yeah. Um, and because the flat was so rubbish, the, the lights in the hallway didn't work. So <laughs> all I could see was like darkness and a couple of shadows. So then I put my foot against the door and I'm like, hello? And like really shaky. And yeah. they go, you need to send Kev out now. And I'm like, what? And they said, you need to send Kev out. And I'm like, right. Um, I said, there's no one called Kev here. And I'm half laughing like you are. And they go, it's not funny. We need Kev now. And I'm like, like really aggressive. So I grab my keys, pretending like I'm going to open the door and lock it. Like, right. And then I say, look, I'm not opening the door. There's no one called Kev here. Um, I don't know what else you want me to say. And then he stood there for ages. Now I'm really scared now. I've got like the, I've got 999 on my phone ready thinking if he bursts this door, I'll just press call and just see what happens. Um, so I'm stood there for ages, having this little standoff with these people on the other side of the door. Anyway, they eventually walk down and I'm like, oh, really breathing. Um, look out my window again. They stood around the car still. They get in the car and drive off, right? And I'm thinking, right, that was, that was like crazy. Two minutes later, I hear a bit more of a commotion and out of my block of flats runs this little kid, maybe 18 year old scrawny lad. He jumps into a taxi, taxi wheel spins off. And I'm thinking, it's Kev. Where was Kev? Right. And when I walked I, I walk down uh, the next morning and I saw that the um, there's like a cupboard where people leave like the hoovers and that. And he must have hid in the hoover cupboard, Kev. And because these guys were after Kev for whatever reason, I don't even want to think about it. Um, they saw that all my lights were on. But uh, he's harboring Kev. 
they wanted um they came up and wanted him but yeah thankfully i got away with that uh, that is a proper tangent by the way i'm really sorry um you like but, line of duty vibes have you watched line of duty oh yeah absolutely i'll tell you what when that police officer came to me and said look we're looking for the person opposite let me know if you see him and i'm like yeah so you want me to be an undercover policeman and they're <laughs> like no i just want i just want you to tell me if you see him and i'm there thinking yeah i'm on an undercover policeman um i never saw him so i was a rubbish undercover policeman but um mm. in my head i was so th what <laughs> that was such a good story that um, um the, i think the point i was making was um that you... flat there was another story literally i had no money whatsoever um to the point where over winter i couldn't even put the heating on because every time i got a heating bill it was massive people will be able to relate to it now and mm. how scary it's going at the minute but um back then energy was a lot cheaper but i just couldn't afford to put the heating on um i just had no money and I remember one night I was really, really cold. And I was like, all right, I'm putting the heating on. I don't care what it costs. So I'm sat next to the radiator trying to stay warm. And then eventually I started to feel really poorly. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get warm. And then all of a sudden I got really hot, right? Like to the point where I was like sweating. And I'm like, oh no, this is not, not good. But I was still feeling cold. Okay. So I could tell I was hot, but I was still cold. So I'm still wrapped in a blanket. Long story short, I ring my friend. I said, look, I'm in a bad way. I don't feel very well. They take me to hospital and I caught pneumonia, which I thought was just something that you got from climbing up a mountain in like Antarctica. <laughs> so then um, one week after I'm in hospital with pneumonia, that's when I meet the lads for the podcast. So this is all kind of going on like I've got no money. I'm meeting the guys for the podcast. I thought you were going to say that Kev turned up at your hospital bed. Yeah, he was like, look, you you got me out of trouble in the past. Here's a hot water bottle. <laughs> so that's when okay. you were starting your, your podcast. And then you yeah, went so that, to Hamburg. Yeah, Hamburg. That was the question. So after a year of the podcast, we still made no money. I was still well poor. Um, but people were really enjoying the podcast. We're getting thousands of listens. And um, we got asked to go to a game in Germany. Uh, which was Hamburg versus San Paoli football match. And they wanted us to vlog it. Nice. And I'm thinking, right, this is cool now. This is like stuff that I've dreamed of. You know, I watch on YouTube and famous vloggers and things. Uh, so I got the bendy tripod and the camera with the mic on top, went for it, but I still had, had absolutely no money. And I remember when I got on the plane to Hamburg, I'd put on my Instagram a picture of my passport and the camera like you know like trying to be proper cool like yeah. off we go like um like trying to pl play out like i was like more than i was mm. and i put that picture on i thought anyone who sees that must say oh what a, that's well cool he's going to germany with work camera vlogging but the reality was i had seven pounds in my bank account at that time and that was it like so we're on in the airport and one of the lads on the podcast brownie um, he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll get this Burger King. And I'm like, thank goodness for that. Like, I couldn't afford it. And thankfully, the lads were so generous, like, who played football, and Chris as well was involved, proper generous in those early days um, mm -hmm. of all sorts of things like that. But I thought that was so interesting that you could actually, look, on social media, it looks like I'm living the best life, I'm thriving, you know, I'm going to Hamburg, filming. And it was a great experience. But the reality was, I just literally had, still had no money. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. You should write a book, I think, of like, yeah. I'd actually think you should. 
from seven pound to now and that's, <laughs> that's a good title and then um like just these stories it's, it's funny well it's not funny I'm not laughing at you getting pneumonia but <laughs> it's quite funny <laughs> it's good to look it's so interesting though to even just do this and chat about it because I never really get to talk about the the journey that we've kind of been on mm. um but like to actually think it makes you really really proud to think I've built a business and I've helped create a podcast that's successful that and it's not about money really um even though it has made it so that I don't have to worry about putting the heating on which is incredible and I don't have to live in a like a, a drug flat or whatever um but it's more about just the opportunities that you've been able to I've been able to do the things I've been able to achieve yeah I'm really quite proud of that and also being able to give other people opportunities you know like other cameramen to come on jobs and um people come and work alongside me and also engage in the creative process that I love so much hmm. yeah it's, it's nice so the jobs you've done like are getting bigger and bigger so you went to film at James Martin's house the chef yeah so like what was that for and what was that like that was really interesting because um, it was, I'll, t- I'll go into it, I'll try and tell this story quite quickly, but it's very similar to what I've been saying already. When I was doing some gym work early on, there was a guy that I knew who I knew was really successful. Um, he was doing loads of really good jobs, getting loads of work in. He was a really good cameraman and editor, freelance videographer, similar to me, um, but a bit older. I always looked up to him. So whenever I had the opportunity to try and hire him, to go on a job with me, I did. But the problem was he was expensive, right? Cause he was really good. And he, this was his full-time job and he was flying at it. So I, on two jobs, I made a loss because I hired him. Um, the result of the jobs were great. They got me more work in the future, but in terms of money at the time, it was a really tough decision to make. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I wanted to get in the door with him. I wanted to give him a bit of work, get to know him, learn from him. Two and a half years later, he rings me up and says, look, I've got a job um, I'm producing at James Martin's house. Um, It's like a a cook along video. Um, Are you free? Can you do it? And I was like, absolutely. And for me, that's just a moment where I look back and think maybe if I'd have not reached out to him, maybe if I'd have not valued him as an individual, as a filmmaker, as a colleague back then, then maybe he wouldn't have reached out to me in that moment. Yeah. Wow. And then that was really cool at his house, a massive house. He had like three kitchens. He had loads of cars, proper cool. And also I, I look now and I watch on this morning and he's on this morning with like um, Holly and Philip Schofield and the cameramen on ITV, they'll have gone to film school. They'll have climbed the ladder for years and years and years. They'll have been a runner. They'll have been a T-boy on Jeremy Kyle. Then they'll have got an assistant cameraman job and then they'll have been able to be a cameraman on maybe something a bit smaller. And then they've built up to be the main cameraman on this morning and they're filming James Martin cooking. And then me, who's built it from, you know, just making videos for a youth work charity. So then doing some gyms, so getting people alongside me who I can trust and that I want to work with. And then I'm in the same position with the camera, main camera, James Martin, straight down the lens. Here we go. Let's make a tiramisu. Um, and I was like, "Wow, what? A, that's incredible, really." That I've been able to. Even that was a like a proud moment to be yeah. just a cameraman there. 
Um, but there's loads of things like that now, which will just come up and it's become a bit more ordinary. Mm. Um, but I just love it. I think it's so interesting that I have had that opportunity and that's the way the world is. Anyone can get into these positions now. You don't have to have gone a certain route. You don't have to have gone to film school. Um, if what you're doing is of high quality, I think you will make it. That's what I believe. Well, you're, you're obviously very creative, um, doing very well. What, like, just one, like, one piece of advice or one tip you'd give someone who's where you are, where you were now, mm. and they want to be where you are now. Like, they, they're into film or they can't afford a camera or, you know, just one piece of advice. That'd be hard, but just one, one tip. My tip would be to go the extra mile with everything that you do no matter what it's for and don't be afraid to do things for free. Um, I know people who are really reluctant to do things for free um, who are also in the same industry as me and they've not been able to get the same opportunities as me. Um, but there's absolutely every job I've gone to Lucy, no one has ever asked to see my degree because I don't have one, which is lucky really that no one's asked to see it, but they have asked to see a portfolio of stuff that I've done before or testimonials of clients. And there's only one way you can get a portfolio of work or testimonials from clients who actually like what you do. And that is by doing the work. And if no one's paying you to do it, you might have to just do it for free or do it for the cheap. Um, mm. And don't let people take the mick, you know, if you're an established person, you can hold your ground. And I've had to say to clients, look, you know, this is how much it costs. I'm sorry, if you don't, if budget is the most important thing for you, then maybe I'm not the right person for this job. And I've been able to get to that position, but early days, it was about getting your work done, constantly grow and always go the extra mile. Never have the mindset of they're only paying me this much. So I'm only going to do this. I think that's a really dangerous mindset. So what's the future for you in like Pacey Media? Um, I would love to see it as a self-sustaining um, business at the minute. It's, it's very reliant on me. Um, I have to go out and do the jobs. Um, but I know there are so many creative people who are really good at what they do. Um, I would love to bring people alongside me. I don't have the budget to do it at the minute, um, but I feel really stretched across all, everything that I'm doing. Um, but I just want to see more and more work that I can be proud of and that people can be part of and do things that I can't see other people doing really. Um, I love watching a video and thinking, how have they done that? You know, have they got that shot? What camera have they used? How long did that take? Have they used actors? Is it real? I love those sort of thoughts. And for me, having people thinking that about stuff that I've done would be amazing. People yeah. say, oh, how have I managed to do that? So hopefully I just want to keep making bigger and better things, I suppose. And finally, if people want to like follow along or like get in touch with you, or, you know, if someone's like, oh, I've got, I don't know, something, something that needs video in or... <laughs> That sounds so vague, doesn't it? If they've got, you know, if or if they're like a business or something, what are your like social media handles or how or website or how do they? Yeah, so again, this isn't really interesting because things took on. So I didn't have enough money to make a website, right? So I didn't make one. And then when work started to come in, I was too busy to make a website, so I don't even have a website, which is crazy. Um, but people can find me on Instagram; is probably the best place. And that's Pacey Media, P-A-C-E-Y-M-E-D-I-A. -E -E that's just the Instagram thing. And you can see some work on there. Um, and if people want to get in touch, there's, you know, there's a way to get in touch on there or you can just email um, from there as well. Um, but yeah, mostly 
clients don't ask to see a huge array of stuff. I could pitch them an idea and show them something that I've made that's similar. And usually it goes from there and it's, and it's great. Um, yeah, so you can check me out there. Well, it sounds amazing. We're going to have to definitely do a part two of this because <laughs> you've got a lot more stories, I can tell. Um, yeah. So we're going to, we're, we're, I'm saying this now, so it's, it's like going to happen. As you know, it's on record. <laughs> we're going to do another one later, a bit later in the year, maybe. And okay. just like go into it more, if that's all right. Sounds absolutely great, yeah. But yeah, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. It's been really interesting. Those sto- like you're such a good storyteller as well as like- Oh, good videographically wise and like audio wise very good great thanks